Hi, this is Steve O'Mooney, and you're listening to another great show only on the 4i Radio Network. For more great shows, feel free to check out www.4iradio.com. Wallop and web snappers. My spider sense is tingling, tingling, tingling. Anybody else's spider sense tingling? Welcome to Walloping Web Snappers, a Spider-Man podcast where we dive into every Spider-Man cartoon ever made. I'm Doug. And I'm Derek. And is your spider sense tingling? It is, and it smells like garlic? Hmm. To listen to this show, find us on foureyedradio.com and wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is brought to you by Revenge Lover Designs, illustration and design that fit your personality. For samples and inquiries, visit revengelover.com. Garlic, you say? Yeah, as in, like, the 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 herb. that It's an herb? <laughs> it's an herb. No, it's like a bulb. What would I think you, it's, it's a... I think it's a bulb. It's a bulb, but is that a, it's a type of that means it's a type of vegetable. I wouldn't call it a. I mean, an herb, I guess, is a vegetable too. Hmm. But no, it's is it? It's a plant, but it's not an herb. But it's weird to call garlic a vegetable. But I feel like you'd call an onion a vegetable, and it's kind of like an onion. It doesn't matter. We're talking about garlic because of vampires. Yes, vampire stuff. Vampire stuff. Actually, not even really. There, it's like everybody's a pseudo vampire. There's not really real vampires. Yeah. Kind of vampires. Well, they they like to explain their vampires in thorough detail on Spider-Man the Animated Series. (laughs) Over and over and over and over again. So we know exactly the nature of all vampires that arrive on our screens. (laughs) And we get some new ones. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, we do. We do. We do. And these are, um, this is, this is both of this, this two party that we're covering this week and next week are both uh, kind of important to like movies in general, weirdly. Like actually the more you kind of trace the thread, it kind of, these episodes kind of helped shape what movies are in the world in general now, if you think about it. Yes. We are talking about this week, the first of two episodes in the 90s animated Spider-Man series featuring the character Blade. And I was blown away to learn that the introduction of Blade in this series is kind of like the butterfly wing flapping that you could trace back to to explain pretty much the entire cinematic experience of our past like decade. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's weird, right? Sounds hyperbolic, but you can trace it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, there's there's plenty of additional factors playing into that too, but this is definitely kind of the impetus for like the state of film now, <laughs> the state of cinema where yeah. where superheroes dominate and everyone's trying to build a cinematic universe because of yeah. the success of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which really only exists because of the success of a few Marvel movies in the 2000s. One of those is the movie Blade, which apparently only happened because of these episodes. Yeah, that that is the claim, and I have really no reason to dispute it. <laughs> it's, it's weird to think about because, yeah. I mean, this this is one of those things that's been it's been in the conversation a lot 
that's like the way that I think people do kind of forget about Blade the movie because it Mm -hmm. wasn't a gigantic phenomenon. It was a good, like it was a hit, but it wasn't like a phenomenon in the way that other superhero movies are. It wasn't really considered much of a superhero movie because it tried not to be like intentionally, but its success really did help jumpstart in a big way. Marvel properties being able to be sustainable and people being more open to seeing Marvel related things or superhero related things, you know, after a long history in the 90s of like very not good superhero (laughs) movies. And they continued to be not good superhero movies in the 2000s too, but they were still peppered with very extremely successful ones. And I think if anything, I think you could argue that Blade helped get people ready for like Oh, the stuff that's like kind of goofy that like I liked when I was a kid, like can actually make for really kind of artful cinematic experiences, actually. Hmm. Yeah. 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 And I, um, I'd seen the first Blade movie when I was, when it first came out. So I was kind of, I was, I was pretty young when that came out and it didn't really like, I wasn't super into it. I never thought, I didn't see the sequels until a couple of years ago, actually. And I rewatched the whole, well, rewatched the first one and then watched the rest of the trilogy. And it is pretty incredible like the first one is is actually is a is a good movie like it's uh, if you if you're into vampire action movies from 1998 like (laughs) it's right up there um the second one is really really good i was shocked at how super into the second one i was like that movie was is pretty fantastic actually and the third one i fell asleep during but (laughs) (laughs) it's (laughs) wow (laughs) yeah parker posey is in it and she's really good of course wesley snipes is like kind of in it (laughs) like he's in it he's in it but he's like i think i don't think he i you can tell that he was not really all there (laughs) for it like he wasn't that interested in it i think that's i think you can read interviews where he was just like not (laughs) not feeling it the whole time interesting because wasn't he saying that if if there's an MCU Blade movie, he should be it? I think I think <laughs> sure retro, part like, of that's just like a I am a I am Blade thing, but yeah, I think I think afterwards, because I mean, it's not like he had like I mean that I feel like his career kind of plateaued from there. Yeah, like I don't think he really did a whole lot after after that movie. And I, I think during that time, he just wasn't really that interested in it. If I if I remember correctly, I think that was the movie where like he wasn't even in a lot of the scenes like they had mm-hmm. to kind of shoot around him and shoot wow. his stuff later because he was just so disinterested in it and you can kind huh. of tell in the movie he just like is kind of sleepwalking throughout the whole thing um day walking throughout the whole thing <laughs> 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 um but the second one is a really good movie i think Guillermo del toro directed that one actually oh wow yeah, it's it's really good. So they're worth. It. Have you seen any of the Blade movies? I was gonna say this is where if you couldn't already tell, I've never seen any of the Blade movies. <laughs> they're worth it. They're good. The first, you know, the first one is a very pretty basic like late '90s vampire movie. Like it's sure. kind of that edgy like Matrix vibe. Yeah. Um, even before the Matrix came out, like it's that definitely that vibe. Um, so you know you have to kind of get past that a little bit. Yeah, um, well, I, but it's a I fun don't know movie. if that's a thing I need to get past. I think I would enjoy it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I dig, I dig it. But the second one is like. It's a gem. Like that movie huh. was really good. Well, I'll I'll have to seek him out, and then maybe we'll we'll talk about my my existence as a now having seen Blade human. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, the reason that we're talking a lot about the movie, other than the fact that it's about Blade, is the fact that these episodes were so instrumental in kind of the creation of that movie. Mm-hmm. So doing a little bit of research on on them. It's really fascinating because apparently, like, the idea of a Blade movie had been around for a while. Like, it's it wasn't like it was 
like that blade was completely unknown or anything. He'd been, I don't remember when he got, when he got created in the comics, but he'd been around for a good long while. And I think like since uh, around 1992, uh, there had been like ideas for a blade movie being tossed around, apparently being developed by LL Cool J at the time. I like that. Yeah. That would have been interesting. That would have been now, would he have been pitching himself as Blade? Is that I want to say how yes. we understand? I want to, you know, I didn't, I didn't read the full Variety article that um, yeah. was archived for it, so I'd be interested if they flesh out a little bit more. But I mean, how could you have LL Cool J doing a Blade movie and not play Blade at the at, in 1992? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, right. I don't can't say that it would have been the best casting, but like, I could have seen that being a thing that happened. At the very least, he would have been in that movie. I, I'm not sure if it would have been Blade, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't. I don't know. I don't know enough about LL Cool J's creative process. <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That said, that's like the last time that it came up was like I think in a, in a Variety piece that was just listing that that was a thing Marvel was that was being worked on by Marvel Productions. Um, and then I think it just kind of was in development hell for a while. It got canceled at a certain point. So, essentially, it was. Blade as a movie was dead in the water by the t- by the mid '90s when these episodes of Spider-Man the Animated Series were being produced. What's uh, pretty wild is, is some quotes from John Semper that are kind of just describing what happened. Um, so John Semper said in an interview with Marvel Animation Age, um, he said uh, the use of guest stars, uh, like referring to like Punisher and and Blade and everybody. Um, he says the use of guest stars was mostly me being a kid in a candy store and having the entire Marvel stable uh, of characters at my disposal and wanting to play with them all. We didn't do any deliberate pilots, but Avi, uh, Avi Arad and his chief minion, Matt Edelman, <laughs> We're always swiping scripts and outlines off my desk and using them to go pitch series ideas and made-for-TV movie ideas to everybody in town. Hmm. Yeah, he says there might not have been a Blade movie if I hadn't used him in the series and effectively brought him to the forefront of Ivy's attention. Um, he said, at the time, there was no Blade film in the works at all. I only did Blade because I'm black and he's black, and I wanted to bring this cool black character to the screen for the very first time. It was my decision, period. <laughs> there's a lot There's a lot to unpack there. I can tell people have challenged this based on the next quote that you found. <laughs> uh, 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 which, the next quote after, after that is like years later, too, so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, actually, I'll just I'll just use that quote too because this really plays into what he was just talking about. Mm-hmm. A few years later, on his Facebook, um, he kind of elaborated on this a bit. In this case, he said Avi had no idea who Blade was. <laughs> um, I think that's the most telling thing right there. Like, if yeah. you had to make the argument, it's like, how would this movie have been made if he didn't know this character even existed? <laughs> right, right. And I mean, you know, I I can totally see because Avi Arad is like a producer type that I'm sure. sure has probably an ego and wants to take credit for whatever he can because that's just kind of the Hollywood culture. Like, it makes sure. sense. He says, Avi then took the scripts I had developed for my series, which featured Blade, and he gave them to David Goyer, Avi's then new screenwriting, in quotes, discovery. (laughs) And Goyer based his screenplay on those scripts. So, yes, I was indirectly responsible for Blade being brought to the movie screen, too. And, yes, I was the one who turned Blade into a vampire. My mind exploded Uh because I have such a minimal understanding of the character Blade, but it's entirely shaped by this cartoon and knowing of those movies. Yeah. That's all I knew. Yeah. So the fact that he existed for at least a couple decades, I think, 
mm-hmm. and that wasn't even a part of his story, I was like, my total understanding was shattered. <laughs> yeah, apparently he was like immune to becoming a vampire. And that was basically but it. <laughs> it just wasn't explained why or what? <laughs> I'm sure there was a backstory behind it, but I, it, sure. it just him being a half vampire with vampire powers wasn't a thing in the comics. Um, it seems so natural. I know. And they did. I think they did eventually adapt it into the comics. I think Morbius bit him and turned him into a half vampire oh. or something ridiculous. But <laughs> I'm sure that they've like retconned it like a hundred times. Well, you know, comics but, be like. It, it, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> Wild, right? So it's, 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 huh. it's, it's. Yeah, so it's not just like, well, we made Blade popular. It's like, no, we kind of we kind of invented this uh, current modern take on Blade that literally everybody knows and will probably yeah. be in the Marvel Cinematic Universe when he's there. So, ah, uh, yeah, It's funny man. because I just, you know, now when you think of the Marvel Cinematic Universe and the television shows and just like comics-based media now – you sort of automatically treat everything like, okay, well, everyone understands the idea of broken timelines and multiverses and alternate universes and things like that. So you kind of can always just write things off as like, well, you know, it's just like somebody reinventing this or it's, you know, you just, it's outside of the universe we understand. Mm-hmm. I never really thought, and this is me not having been a, somebody who read comics or knew, or was probably old enough to really even understand how comics had been working for a long time. I just never really thought, even in retrospect, of this cartoon being kind of like its own version of that, mm-hmm. even though I kind of knew it intellectually. Like, I, I knew it had its own designation as a universe because everything does. But really what John Semper was doing was just like writing his own versions of comic book characters in the exact same way a comic writer writing on a new title would be. Yeah. And it's amazing. <laughs> it's yeah. It's so cool. Um, and I just never really, for whatever reason, thought about it like that. And I, I don't know why other than it just wasn't a common conversation you could have with, like, anybody in the room. I, I don't know. <laughs> well, yeah. And I think we've kind of brought this up in pieces before. But, like, I think for such a long time, conversations about superhero adaptations were always so, like, hell-bent on how how true is this to the comic? Like how Mm -hmm. accurate is this? And so anytime there was kind of a new and inventive take on characters, it's usually like, well, I mean, it's an okay show, but like they didn't do this exactly like it was done in the comics. Um, And as we said before, that attitude has like changed a lot. I think really thanks in part to, to the MCU, like, being like, oh, no, we obviously have knowledge of the comics. That's why we're doing these deep cuts. We're just shaping it in different stories. And then it's sort of like you can't argue that they don't know like what the comics are about. Yeah. But I think like they were doing that, that exact same thing for – I mean they're always doing that for every superhero adaptation. But I think even more so with these shows in the 90s with uh, Spider-Man and X-Men and Batman and Superman and all those. Um, because I think even more so than a lot of the 80s shows because they were really committed to taking the, the stories that already exist in the comics – that were like really important or or really powerful or just like really good and trying to find a way to adapt it a to kids television mm-hmm. and b into like just a different format um and medium but still being able to like get to the spirit of that story and then in some cases like i think in the case of using blade improving on what was in the comic originally now that you have hindsight. Well, I think that's part of it right there is because I didn't realize how much this show influenced in the greater 
multimedia universe that is Marvel in the way that I, I knew Harley Quinn was this sort of phenomenon character that was introduced in a cartoon and then introduced into the comics universe. I don't know that I, I, I definitely didn't know that she wasn't sort of a purely unique instance. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like we've expressed how shocked we are that man spider was invented here. And that clearly wasn't a one-time thing for that either. <laughs> you know, like, mm-hmm. I guess I just didn't realize how much this influenced it. So I never thought of it as anything other than, well, they're just telling different stories with the same stuff. Like, no, they're actually telling entirely new stories that then are getting picked up and sort of added to the overall understanding of this universe and these characters. Yeah. It's so, so cool. Very cool. It's so very <laughs> cool. And it's it's wild learning this stuff because, I mean, it's not that it's hard to find that information. Like, it's pretty, you know, it's pretty easy. But if you're somebody who's just like, I'm going to go back and rewatch the show. I watched it when I was a kid. Like, you're yeah. not going to pick up on that um, unless you have a really detailed knowledge of the comics as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And even then, you know, you're not necessarily going to, like, recognize, like, I don't know. It's so, it's so easy when comics have run so long. There's been so many different takes that have existed. Yeah. Like, I could all, still see it being someone who's read Blade's entire run, <laughs> or at least his early mm-hmm. run, seeing this being like, that's different than the Blade of the comics. I guess they got it from some other thing. Like, it's, right. I, it's, I, it's seeing, for, I don't know why, why it's so hard to believe that a cartoon show could have created something like so influential. I don't know <laughs> I don't what even that know is if about it's it. That. I th- part of it at least is that we exist in the year 2020 and it's, I think hard to believe anything isn't inspired by or adapted from or spun off of something else because so much of what we're bombarded with is to the point that like, the common take is everything is just something else. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Mm -hmm. Everything's a sequel or a reboot, which, you know, isn't even necessarily true. It's just sort of like the, the belief in the zeitgeist that I wonder how much of it is literally just context of that now. (laughs) Like, I don't know. Maybe it wouldn't have been as hard to believe for me in the year 2001. And it's, it's, it's hard for me to believe that anything didn't come from somewhere else now. Mm Mm-hmm. That makes sense. <laughs> oh, oh. Yeah. Now that said, speaking of like a thing coming from another thing, this is this is super fascinating. Just another aspect in the more like kind of the uh the deeper interconnectivity of the Blade movie with this show, like even in a different way, like they're kind of giving and taking. Blade's companion Whistler, um, who we see in this episode, this episode is his first ever appearance, like ever in 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 all of Canon. He's not a comic character. However, he's not technically, he wasn't technically created by this show. The unofficial story, um, I have not found any quotes from any party <laughs> specifically about this. So I don't know where this information comes up, comes from, but it's in like multiple places, yeah, multiple databases online. So it comes from somewhere and it seems to align with like official credits and everything. Officially, the character of Whistler, who is like Blade's kind of partner in crime slash like kind of father figure kind of th- yeah. kind of deal. He's credited as a creation of David Goyer, who wrote the screenplay for the Blade movie. So, like, supposedly what happened is that after after Goyer started working on the Blade script, which he got the idea of the Blade script from Avi Arad, who got the idea from John Semper, <laughs> he created the character of Whistler, which makes sense in the context of the Blade movie because you need someone for Blade to play off of. Sure. Um, so he's a very important character in that movie. But then somehow... That idea of Whistler 
did like come back over to Spider-Man the Animated Series writing team. I don't know if Goyer and Semper happened to be talking or maybe even Avi Arad was like, let's get some synergy up in here right. and like force Semper to put the character in. It doesn't really feel like that because the character fits so well into the episode. But one way or another, the character that was created for the movie and technically written there first, even though the movie came out later, um, was then added into the later drafts of the uh, animated series script. And it kind of lines up because it, it, it makes sense that there will be early drafts of the, of the cartoon episodes or outlines of them around the same time that they got the idea of the Blade movie. By the time the Blade movie had like his first draft, it was going to be in the rewrite stages for the cartoon uh, episodes. So like yeah. I can sort of see how that times out. So I, I think that makes sense. I think the thing that's really interesting about it is that the two versions of Whistler are like vastly different. <laughs> like the Whistler in in Spider-Man is like just a pretty kind of generic like old British guy. Yeah. Um, and then in the Blade movie, he's like Chris Christopherson and he's got like full <laughs> like like old hippie slash rocker hair and like a big beard. Like he's kind of pulling like what Jeff Bridges would do like in the late two thousands. Like, yeah. Or no, actually Jeff Bridges like post the dude, but like before mm-hmm. Jeff Bridges was doing that. Yeah, that's really strange, and it's even stranger that, like, no one's just been like, yeah, this is what happened, as far as I could find. (laughs) I mean, maybe there's weirdness about it, but uh, I hope not. (laughs) The only reason I could see that nobody's, like, really speaking to it is if somebody thought somebody took it from somebody else, or they both thought that they both took it from each other. I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I I can't imagine why no one would be talking about it. (laughs) Right. Right. Mm-hmm. It's weird. Yeah. Whole situation's weird. It's cool though. I mean, yeah. <laughs> all of this is uh is just wild. Yeah, this is it's gosh, it's so cool. <laughs> it's just cool to think about the show in a way that I just never would have, you know? I, I it's one of the reasons I love having this podcast. I learned so much. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, with that, we I don't we go ahead and get into the episode. So one quick note is that the the Blade two-parter that we're discussing this week and next week, both of these episodes are out of order on Disney+. Plus. So if you're watching like along with us, which it's cool that you're doing that, just be careful. I think we mentioned this at the end of our last week's episode anyway. Um, so like initially these episodes did air later than chapters 11 and 12. Like these are chapters 9 and 10 and they aired after the next two-parter that comes after this two-parter. I have no idea why. And it was, in fact, these episodes were, like, delayed for, like, months. Oh. Huh. Yeah. Well, I was going to say the only reason I could think of, especially if that's a network decision, because it would have been, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is that they thought these episodes might be similar to the last couple and huh, decided maybe. to spread them. But I don't know why the network network would even care that much about that. Yeah. it's that's It's weird, especially considering, like, these episodes flow like the, the previous episode really yeah. flows into this one, like pretty superbly. So does the network get that though? Is I guess the only reason I don't I'm think so. That. Cause networks are stupid and they, they, <laughs> there's, you can hear so many stories of shows having episodes aired out of order. So like, I'm not surprised. I'm yeah. just very curious of like what the thought process is. Cause a lot of times when you hear it on other shows, it's like just because the network doesn't like, while it could be the case here, like they don't like the episodes mm. or or just like don't expect them to be very successful. So they're like, we're going to hold these for a little later 
I feel like that's more often like you'll hear with like newer shows where they'll kind of sure. bump episodes and be like, let's do the more fun actiony one earlier rather than like the smarter moody one, even though it's like relevant to, mm-hmm. to setting stuff up. So I, it, it, I mean, I don't know there, it could have been a, it could have been a weird thing where they knew that blade wasn't like a super popular superhero and like, I don't know, he's black. Like I, I could have had something to do with yeah. it. I don't know. I mean, there's, you there's, never know. yeah, there's, there's a lot years of, years uh, ago was a long time ago. Uh huh. Yeah. Either way, um, Disney Plus does put them in the airing order here, so that means that chapters eleven and twelve are listed. But like, you can very easily see it says Neogenic Nightmare Chapter Nine, Chapter Ten. So like, just skip to those. And... I do wonder if that's if if that means Disney Plus's programming or whatever prioritizes air date in ordering things than episode number. Probably so. I can't imagine why else so many things would have been out of order. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, any other thing show that I've seen on there is in the airing order. So, yeah, but yeah, and 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 if you're wondering, because if you if you followed us in the first season, we went by the airing order for that season, really only because that was the order that was even run like in reruns mm-hmm. and and was listed like on Amazon Prime for any streaming service. And also like those episodes, the order didn't really matter and they aren't really clear. Like there isn't a consistent list for what the order was supposed to be for those episodes. It's kind of here multiple things. Um, sure. whereas, whereas with these episodes, it's pretty clear what order they're supposed to be in. In reruns, they always ran them in the correct order. I remember that. And, and, and correct because the order does matter significantly. Uh-huh. Exactly. <laughs> it significantly matters. Yeah. Um, it's clearly listed in the title, too. Like, you can't uh-huh. – it's not an accidental mishap. And, and any other streaming service that it's ever been on always lists us in the right order. So, like, it makes sense for us to do it in the correct order, not the airing order, even if it's technically inconsistent with how we did the first season. Eh. Who's complaining about that, honestly? So – whatever hopefully no one my gosh (laughs) (laughs) i quit one star (laughs) yes (laughs) i'll read it if you write it (laughs) yeah yeah i'd love to know gritted teeth (laughs) (laughs) cool 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 so this first episode we are discussing is not chapter 11 it is (laughs) spider-man spider-man the animated series season two episode nine entitled neogenic nightmare chapter nine blade the vampire hunter And the synopsis for this one per IMDb is, with Man-Spider kept at bay temporarily, Spider-Man now turns to helping Michael Morbius become human once more. But a vampire hunter named Blade is after Morbius as well. Original air date was February 3rd, 1996. It was written by Stephanie Matheson, Mark Hoffmeyer, and John Semper. We know who John Semper is, and we have talked extensively about Hoffmeyer um, in an earlier episode in the uh, Spider Slayers episode, our episode two. Um, he was a writer on that. But Stephanie Matheson is a new writer, and in fact, this is her only episode of Spider-Man the Animated hmm. Series, interestingly. She has worked on some other stuff. She actually wrote two episodes of the X-Men animated series, which includes that Beauty and the Beast episode I was talking about Ah. in the X-Men crossover. That's really, really good. So good job. So you already know her. Yeah, apparently I did. (laughs) Total accident. She also wrote on Punky Brewster, a show called Skeleton Warriors. That sounds awesome. Excuse me? I want to watch it. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Well, I don't know what it is, but I'm already on board. (laughs) Never heard of it. Uh, As well as Mummies Alive. Um, And like a couple other things, but not really much else. She doesn't have a ton of credits to her name. 
Gotcha. Well, there are two characters that are introduced in this episode, and we've mentioned both of them already. The first is Blade himself, um, and Blade was portrayed by J.D. Hall. J.D. Hall voiced the mentor Guron in the early 90s animated series Phantom 2040, which is like a futuristic adaptation of the, the comic The Phantom. I had no idea that existed. I didn't either, but I, I like kind of recognized it right away when I saw it as what I assumed would have been the Phantom. So like hmm. you can tell I just had never watched it, but also don't know that much about Phantom either. But hmm. I don't know. I think the Phantom <laughs> movie had would have just come out around that time too. So I wonder if they're ah. like trying to well, that makes sense. I think I think it came out around then. I could be wrong, but it makes sense that they were Strange to that they would do a twenty forty <laughs> like why not just do the phantom yeah <laughs> i don't know enough about the phantom to know maybe the phantom's not great <laughs> who knows i don't think the movie was a big success so like maybe <laughs> i would i think i've seen the movie and don't really remember anything so that tells mm-hmm. you something at least but yeah he also portrayed on screen a character named willie of willie's roadhouse on power rangers wild force which i believe is where Someone gets a job. <laughs> Someone works for him <laughs> in a Power Rangers series. Huh. And then, I just thought this was fun. On Fresh Prince, he's the guy that gets duped by Uncle Phil after Will loses a Mercedes-Benz in a game of pool. Which I love, because I love every single 90s sitcom episode where somebody pretends to be bad at pool and then is good at pool. And it happens a lot. <laughs> yeah, that's what a weird... That's such, so weird that that's a trope. That, yeah, <laughs> that Urkel does that. it too, I believe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> The other character introduced in this episode that we've talked a bit about is Abraham Whistler, portrayed by Malcolm McDowell, who I had thought that was one of my guesses for who was playing Landon in the X-Men commentary episode, which I realized was David Warner. So I was like predicting a future guest star. I legit did not remember that he was like ever on this show, honestly. Just seeing the future. Yeah, I guess so. He is a pretty prominent actor. You probably like will know him from something. So he's yeah. uh, he's known for his on-screen performances, such as A Clockwork Orange, uh, Caligula, Star Trek Generations, and recently in the Halloween reboots, and as Rupert Murdoch in 2019's Bombshell. Interesting. Yep. He is good at playing <laughs> villains. Yes. Yes. Makes Uh, sense. Yep. Um, He's also done like a lot of voice work, which makes sense because his voice is amazing. It's a good one. Yep. He voiced Metallo on Superman, the animated series and uh, Ross Al Ghul's son in Batman, the animated series, as well as like plenty of others. And he's lent his talent to video games such as Fallout 3, Killzone 3, God of War 3, lots of threes, as well as Call of Duty, Black Ops 3, what in the world? <laughs> and also others that aren't specifically the third installments of their series. Yeah, I don't know. Weird. I, don't know. I guess when you have a third game, you just, you got to go find Malcolm McDowell. Mm-hmm. Guess Guys, so. we did it. We hit our third. Where's Malcolm? <laughs> <laughs> huh. Interesting. Oh, this is episode nine. That's like three times three is nine. That's so. the third three. Yeah, it's the third three. There you go. <laughs> it all it all comes together. Yes, indeed. When I first uh, saw that he played Ra's al Ghul's son, I was like, how does that work? But if I remember correctly, I believe Ra's al Ghul's son is in a body much older than his in that series. Okay. Do you remember that? I don't remember. I don't remember that specifically. I think I'm remembering that. I don't remember that one. Hmm. Do you? I've said it both ways, and I don't know what, like, Ra's al Ghul or Raish 
Al Ghul. So I it depends on the property that you watch. Yeah, I think I think there are people who would tell me I'm saying it wrong, but I'm pretty sure they said Raz on the show that I learned he existed from. So I've continued to say it that way. I so I don't I, they I have, say Raz on the animated series. I thought that they said Raish on the animated series actually, oh, and I think they shoot. say Raz in the Nolan movies. Maybe that's where I'm getting it. Unless I'm switching it, I think that I think that that's how it goes. Because I feel like there's a Batman Beyond episode when he comes back and they make a joke about the pronunciation of his name. Oh, I think I, don't know. I think, but all of this stuff is stuff that I haven't watched in a long time, so I don't. Uh, well, totally as far right. back as my memory goes, which is often not very far back, it, I've said Roz, so I've just stuck with it. I'm yeah. aware that people say Raish, and I yeah. I don't know what's right or wrong, so I just pick. Yep. It also <laughs> doesn't really matter very yeah, Someone much. will tell us. Yeah. <laughs> and thank you. <laughs> sure. Well, that was an important conversation, but... Of course. Even more important, we have an episode to talk about. Yes, and because we have an episode, we have a recap. Yeah. <laughs> so here's what they've chosen we need to know for this episode. Peter Parker, he gave himself too many arms. Michael Morbius stole Peter's blood. And now Michael, he's a vampire. Also, a mysterious figure shows up vowing to stop Spider-Man, and the police are on the lookout. Guess what? They don't even show Man-Spider on this recap. How? Yeah. You know, all literally Because <laughs> they every... mentioned Man-Spider in the episode. Uh-huh. They do. They even, they even have a flashback to it. And you could argue, like, well, they have a flashback to it, so they don't have to reference it. They reference literally everything in this recap. Some, Peter has a flashback to it, or someone explains uh-huh. it through exposition. I appreciate a good recap, but technically, they didn't even need a recap. <laughs> No, not at all. <laughs> because both of these episodes do a good job referencing what happened in the like inside the episode. Yeah, that these so, are actually pretty pretty both the, the whole blade two-parter I think is pretty good with dealing with their exposition honestly yeah. considering they load uh, unload a lot of exposition <laughs> throughout mm-hmm. throughout both of them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, I just thought it was I I was personally offended that they didn't show man spider yeah. in the recap. Yeah, they even, like, cut around it. Like, lines that were used to be referring to Man-Spider, I think they just, like, show a shot of Spider-Man with the four arms. Yeah. So. Whatever, recap. Whatever. Whatever. (laughs) Anyway, the real episode, the thing that matters. Yeah. Dumb recap. The episode opens with a web-slinging Spider-Man, clarifying that Dr. Crawford did reverse the mutation, but she did not actually cure him, which was not specified at the end of the last episode which was like kind of playing it as a very happy ending mm-hmm. so very quick kind of dark turn like right off the bat yep. uh, and in fact even worse he can apparently transform back into the, into the man spider at any moment <laughs> see and i was thinking like i remember more man spider but maybe i'm just like remembering more because it's such a memorable thing mm-hmm. and then i got to this and i was like aha Aha, it's going to happen again. <laughs> yeah. It's like, season's not over yet. We can't we can't resolve all that yet. Yeah. But, but, but luckily, Dr. Connors is back in the picture now. He has apparently discovered a way to prevent that from happening. So, interesting, like, passing back and forth of doctors handling Spider-Man's mutation. I guess that's kind of like how, like, real medical stuff works, though. Uh, yep. <laughs> Unfortunately. So. Except there'd be, like, 14 more doctors and far less getting done. Ooh. Sorry. Yikes. And <laughs> Spider-Man would be beyond in debt for the rest of his life. 
Yep, American Healthcare. Cool. Yeah. Look for the spider bite. Um, <laughs> I do. I, I. I'm glad that Dr. Connors showed up in this, if only to make myself feel good about remembering that Dr. Connors had a bigger role. Because mm-hmm. I, I really was surprised. Uh, and it's you can go listen to my surprise. Surprised at how little Dr. Connors played in this saga. But this this sort of makes me <laughs> makes me feel like my brain isn't totally trash. Yeah. Uh, in remembering that he was. <laughs> yeah. It's not trash in that particular so good. way. So yeah, not in good. that way. <laughs> <laughs> well, so in an alley below, while he's web-slinging, a figure in a leather jacket and on a motorcycle reads the bugle, which says, Spider-Man, a vampire? <laughs> okay. <Cool>. Um, <laughs> he uh, activates a tracking device. They're not going to say his name for a while, but you can tell that this is Blade. Yeah, it's like halfway through the episode before anybody calls him anything, yeah. including himself. <laughs> yeah, which I guess is kind of cool because if he's an, yeah. kind of a relatively un like, I guess kind of a C-list character, it's kind of cool that they keep the keep the mystery up for everyone who does not know who he is. Yeah, no, I like it. I like it just for being taken along for the ride. It's just hard to talk about a character with no mm-hmm. name. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Dude, I remember I did the um, – when I was doing my Gargoyles blog, because yeah. they don't even get named until, like, episode, like, three or uh-huh. something. It was interesting finding – I tried to find, like, creative ways to talk around that. So it was actually <laughs> – The like, orange in... one. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was literally, like um, – the cool one, the short one, and the fat one. <laughs> and I only said the fat one not to be, like, fat shamey, but to actually, like, call out, like, that's literally his only personality for the first yeah. few episodes until they actually, like, figure out who he is. And that was a fault of the show early on. But they quickly correct it, and he ends up having some of the best uh, best episodes. So oh. it's fine. But <laughs> anyway, long, <laughs> long t- uh, 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 tirade to say yes. it is awkward when you don't know characters' names. Yes, yes. But they structure it well, so it's Yeah, it's cool. it works. It works in this context. So we cut to a scene where Morbius uh attacks a runner. Uh just some just some random guy running. He's doing just doing his own thing, Morbius. But I guess if you're going to attack somebody, attack somebody fit, that's just me saying don't attack me because I don't I don't have fit. Um, <laughs> but he does this at like the worst time ever because Spider-Man is like literally swinging by in that moment. Um, so Spider-Man's like, hey, Morbius, don't do that. Morbius ends up throwing Spider-Man onto a nearby roof. I don't know why other than to have them fight on a roof, I guess. I guess so. Well, actually, I do know why, and it happens in a second. So so the, he throws him onto a roof. The two of them tussle. And as Spider-Man attempts to appeal to Morbius by bringing up Felicia, which he'll, we'll see him do a number of times, mm-hmm. Blade launches onto the roof and tosses some sort of like gas grenade at the two of them. And I only remembered as I was explaining this that the reason they're on a roof is so that Blade can drive his motorcycle up a roof <laughs> and us not know how he got there until the next scene. Like, yeah. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. So you're just watching, like, Blade fly up onto a roof on his motorcycle and you're like, excuse me? <laughs> <laughs> That's why they're on a roof. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah, you know what? I will take a, uh, I will take weird weird character actions if it gets us a cool set piece exactly. understand that like yes. under understand <laughs> that yes then <laughs> blades blades crazy uh-huh his stuff it's like punisher had a cool arsenal and blade is very similar to punisher and how he's portrayed in that yes. they're both like gruff they both have a beef with spider-man that they don't quite understand and they both use wild technology and have like super vehicles but blades stuff is different because it's like it's centered specifically in being vampire centric stuff, kind of. Yeah. But the spins that they take on them are 
bizarre in like the best ways. So he tosses like a gas grenade, which we will learn in a second what it is. And it's cool um, and hilarious. Yep. But then this does affect Morbius like real bad. Like he's like screaming. So it's, 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 it's hurting him real bad. There's some good screams in these episodes. Uh huh. Is this where, <laughs> isn't this where uh, Blade's like uh, the cries of a death stalker are like music to my ears. Oh, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> there are two moments where it could have been, and it's probably this one. It I would be weird to say it the second time. I think it's this one. It's just like, wow, buddy. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Wow. How, like, have you, do you, did you practice that line in the mirror? Like, or do you say that every single time you throw a gas grenade at a, at a vampire? He it's... and Punisher trade lines back and forth. They, they <laughs> yeah. run them by each other. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But then even better than the grenade is the lightsaber-ish thing. It's, uh, I guess it's like literally a lightsaber because it's maybe like a daylight saber. I don't, it's like a glowing electrified, like green sword. And that's so that he can't carry a sword. I mean, (laughs) I think that's what it is. I, yeah, but it's cool. It is cooler than a regular sword because it's glowing. It's just like electric glowing, like electricity of vampires. I don't, I, I, I yeah. don't know. They have like daylight-esque technology, like simulating daylight and stuff. So I have to imagine it's something along those lines. It's just weird that it's green. It's really like the one piece of technology they don't explain in these episodes. That's true. <laughs> it's his lightsaber. <laughs> That's true. Huh. It is cool though. And he doesn't, but no, you're you're totally right though. Because in the movies, he just uses a sword. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> so... He, his um his lightsaber though does have a super cool hilt like they they don't make it super technology e just because it's kind of like a lightsaber mm-hmm. the only thing that's different is really just the saber itself it's still like a very ornate uh handle and hilt and everything it's very yeah very cool. yeah so blade follows morbius to an even taller rooftop by now we know how he got up to the rooftop mm-hmm. uh, originally he rides his motorcycle up the side of a building which follows physics correctly you know what i appreciate about this though yeah he doesn't just ride up it there's like a moment that it has to sort of like get its grip that's true. like the animators really like paid attention to make sure that there's like a moment where it's sort of falling back and struggling um and i think that's cool that's true i shouldn't knock it. it i shouldn't knock it because it is a cool thing to see a man in leather riding a motorcycle <laughs> all leather all leather. Neck to All toe leather. leather. <laughs> Riding a motorcycle up a building. That's cool. And you're right. They took great pains to not just like, they could have just done some like anti-gravity button or whatever. And they, but yeah. instead they actually try to make it like, look again, like a really cool set piece. So. Or imagine Amazing Friends trying to do this. It could have been that. It literally would have just been like, and now I'm up on the side of a building. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> yep. It's probably, probably it's, happened on that show. It's still actually. ridiculous. It's just cool and ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's very cool. But yeah, so he rides a motorcycle up the side of a building. That's cool. Mm-hmm. He does manage to restrain Morbius, but before he can like shoot another of his gas grenades at Morbius, which he com- he does say will destroy the living vampire, Spider-Man intervenes and Morbius flies away. Well, everybody knows that a vampire can endure one gas grenade, yeah. but not two. <laughs> yeah. So... So Blade then decides to focus his attention on Spider-Man because Morbius flies away and that (laughs) pisses Blade off and decides to shoot the dose of poison gas at Spider-Man instead. Spider-Man does cough a bunch because he's inhaling gas, but ultimately uh, ends up being fine and says, 
garlic? You sprayed me with garlic? <laughs> it is so funny. Which is it's great. Such a good reveal. Yep. And his uh his just like complete like confusion at it. Yeah. It's just like, is this, are you real are you for real, dude? Yeah, the timing of it's good. They like let him cough and sputter and like make his way out of the gas cloud and begin to recover. Like the this these two episodes fly by so fast. Oh yeah. But they allow this to take a moment to sink in. It's yeah. oh, it's so beautiful. It's Garlic. good. Garlic gas bombs. <laughs> It's like so ridiculous, which, yes. you know, that, but that's sort of like the weird magic of Blade because all of his stuff is like really dumb when you think about it. But like it's he's just such a cool dude. Like, yeah. But this show, again, explains every single thing he uses except for the lightsaber. Later on, they explain exactly why and how the garlic works. Yeah. It's so weird. It's very weird. And like kind of, un- I mean, un- uncharacteristic for this show, too. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Normally, it's just like, yeah, it's just weird technology, whatever. Vampires were too much. They they couldn't just introduce vampires without explaining everything. <laughs> I mean, I guess that's not untrue, though, because it is I like, like it, it, that's though. that's different than this is. Yeah. I mean, have we had we haven't had like magic yet. Like, this is the first time yeah. that there's been and they don't even really call it magic. Like, they try to explain it as like a disease and stuff. But yeah, it's the closest thing that we've gotten to like an occult magical thing. Well. And genetics are such a central theme to this show and mutations are such a central theme mm-hmm. that it's they just fit it into what they're already doing. Yeah, like if this sense. is its own universe in the in the Marvel multiverse, it's one that is very, very committed to that as a as a catalyst for change. Right. Here's my question. This is this really applies to vampires in general, because when you brought up like, oh, one gas grenade, he's fine. The second grass gas grenade has to kill him, right? Like Vampires are always just repelled by garlic in vampire <laughs> stuff. No one's ever like killed a vampire with garlic. Can you kill a vampire with garlic or is it only cuz this implies that if you throw enough at them and they like get enough in their body, then they'll it's die. It's actually damaging to them. Right. So like if you somehow get a vampire to like eat a whole bulb, bulb of garlic, will that do exactly like what staking them through the heart does, I wonder? I don't know cuz I I kind of just thought they like it would have been like salt, like salt circles, kind of. Yeah, that's like what it's I not always. Not necessarily damaging. It's just like uh, repelling. <laughs> that's what I always <laughs> they thought. Can't too. stand to be around it. Right. So, but you know, this is blade technology. Know. You know, it's different. Yeah. Well, here it's damaging. Yeah. <laughs> I think they say that it's like a, it's a almost like an immunological weakness. Yeah. To uh, that and certain other alloys and plants and stuff. Right. It's right. a trade off. Right. But, but that's rude. You're using someone's allergies against them. Yeah. <laughs> Peter Rabbit was protested for that, uh, <laughs> Spider-Man. <laughs> wait, or Blade, what? I should say. Is that, wait, what is that? People were very upset because in the movie Peter Rabbit, they use the, like, bad guy character. And, and no one's really a terrible character in that movie. Mm-hmm. But they use, like, the bad guy character's allergy against him. And people were oh. like, that's bad. You shouldn't do that. This is a kid's movie. <laughs> Yeah, it's not that that big of a deal in the movie, but I get why people are upset. It's also me speaking from a place of having no allergies. So who am I to talk? (laughs) Yeah, that sounds like one of those like kind of like a Looney Tunes kind of gag that like just maybe in today's climate doesn't really play as well as it used to. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. Anyway, Blade realizes Spider-Man's not a vampire because he's not allergic to garlic and pretty much instantly is like, okay, well, if you're not a vampire, we've got no quarrel and I'm out. 
and <laughs> literally starts to ride away. Um, Spider-Man does try to stop him because Spider-Man's like, hold up. Like, you can't just roll up like that uh, <laughs> and expect me to be like, all right, cool, we're good. But Blade ends up, like, flashing his fangs, which throws Spider-Man off enough to sort of allow Blade to get away. Luckily, Spider-Man has enough sense to stick a tracer on Blake, uh, Blade's bike, so he still uh, was composed enough to, to do that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But, I mean, that's a scary thing to see. Yeah, I mean, again, makes sense. He's not been exposed to, like, magic stuff, and literal vampires is uh, definitely weird. <laughs> it's new, and it's yeah. different than Morbius. He yeah. understands Morbius. Right, <laughs> right. Yeah, and Blade's kind of scary, even not in vampire form, so. <laughs> yeah, he has a lot of weapons. <laughs> yeah, and his voice actor is very growly, like, <laughs> consistently. Oh, yeah. His voice actor is very good. Like, yes. I'm very impressed with uh, his performance. Yeah, I like the voice actor a lot. I like what J.D. Hall does with it. It's funny, though, because if you listen to the episode without watching it, you're like, what is this guy growling about? Um, and then you look and you're like, oh, I see. <laughs> yeah, because he never turns it off. He is always up to 11, like perpetually. Yes. Yes, he is. <laughs> so after Blade rides off, Spider-Man's sides begin to hurt uh, like they were a few episodes ago. And he decides he must return to Dr. Connors. Just after that, Morbius sees Blade riding away from that confrontation and decides he's going to follow Blade uh, instead of the other way around. Meanwhile, we see that a news story shares that Michael Morbius is still reported missing, and they're showing that dopey Michael Morbius Your photo. Your favorite picture. Again, it will, <laughs> never, it, it will never die. I love it. It's just like every time I think we're done with it, it pops up. Again. <laughs> and this time it's big. Take it up the whole screen. Oh, it's yeah. The same picture. Um, <laughs> well, it's the only picture, so that's what she had to submit to both the police and the news. <laughs> yeah. Yep, yep, yep. But, yeah, so he's still being reported missing, but they do – this is when they kind of um, finally – double back on like the little mini arc that was going on the last couple episodes where Peter had supposedly disappeared. Mm -hmm. Um, So they have like a little brief bit where he's talking to reporters and Peter says that, uh, Oh, I was just tracking Spider-Man and I wasn't able to call home. Not a thing you could say in uh, 2020. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Which is kind of funny. Although it's like you're in New York. They they were pay phones, but (laughs) yeah, we see them in the episode. Yeah, but, you know, Aunt May isn't questioning it, so sure. Meanwhile, this is awesome. Deborah describes the vampire-like figure that attacked her and flashed to the police. And guess what? It is the same brilliant, incredibly talented, and possibly psychic (laughs) sketch artist. He's back. (laughs) Who has... Not all, It's not just, like, a good recreation of Michael Morbius. It is just, like, the concept art of the Michael Morbius character mm-hmm. in a beautiful mm-hmm. pose. It's, it's great. You know what my favorite part of that interaction is? Hmm. She says, and oh, he had fangs. And he goes, fangs? And then you look at the, the picture, and he has, like, talons. <laughs> like, he was totally willing to believe he had, like, talons and, and like, a bat a, nose. Right, a bat but, nose. But fangs? He drew him literally <laughs> levitating. Like... <laughs> But fangs. Get out of here, Deborah. You're hysterical. <laughs> fangs. Oh, man. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah. So that's 
fabulous. And it's uh, it's also during this period, isn't it, that we get a glimpse of like of Terry Lee again for the first time in a couple episodes, right? As the reporters are, are talking to her, I think. Yeah, I think she popped up very briefly for like one line, maybe a couple episodes ago. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. So she's like sort of been sprinkled in, but this is this is sort of the beginning of an arc that she's going to end up having. She doesn't really get yeah. a lot to do in this episode particularly, but but this is the well, this will be the most that we've seen her since Mysterio, really. Yeah. And I like when she's talking to the reporters, one of the reporters runs up to her and she's like, what about the rumors that Spider-Man turned into a monster, huh? Like, it's <laughs> not very reporter-like. It's, it's b- bizarrely aggressive. <laughs> <laughs> really ahead of their time to be mm. honest. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> yeah, you know. <laughs> well, at Dr. Connor's lab, Spider-Man arrives and undergoes a neogenic treatment, which is meant to prevent his sides from sprouting arms again, or just from further mutating. Like we mentioned earlier, he could turn into man spider at any time. And this is a procedure Dr. Connor's claims has to be repeated every 24 hours, Jeez. which sucks. Yeah. But it's also a good tool if they ever really need to create some uh, some Drama. tension and stakes. Uh-huh. <laughs> you even see, like, the arms, like, bulging out of his sides. <gasps> it's ugh, it's gross. That, ugh, that happens too fast. Mm-hmm. That means he was growing bones and muscles in there. Yeah. Uh. Uh-huh. No wonder he's in so much pain all the time. Yeah, he's just growing extra bones. <laughs> Hopefully he's growing finger bones first. Ooh. Yuck. <laughs> oh, so little like fingers are poking out of his sides. I'm just trying to think of what would be the least painful. <laughs> but not the least horrifying. No. <laughs> uh, well, Dr. Connor says this weird thing that's only really weird if you think about it too long. But he says that it's too bad Dr. Crawford returned to Africa to combat some sort of plague. And it's too bad because she's not there to help, but it's also a weird thing to say. Yeah. And uh, he also mentions that he's had to increase security at the Neogenics lab as a result of, and I love this, a result of the incident with Herbert Landon and the Brand Corporation. Yeah. So referencing back to what would have absolutely been a big event in the city. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yes. I'm very glad. Good job. Very glad they call back to that finally because they haven't really mentioned it since it happened actually up till this point. So and they don't really do that many callbacks of just the greater universe. You know right. what I mean? Right. They call back to things that are relevant or that have informed what's actively going on, but just to just to mention something that happened in order to to further the atmosphere of the show. That's pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. It's kind of what we've come to expect, but not something I would have expected uh, in older media. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It's good, it's good. Uh, These episodes really are both very good at really showing, like, what they're doing with their wider universe. Mm -hmm. Um, And and kind of keeping, if not, like, keeping up continuity, which, like, it does, but also just, like, using the players on the board really well. Yes. We kind of mentioned that in the the Duel of the Hunters episode, too. Like, that episode was superb at that, but... Mm -hmm. It's continuing now and gives me hope that it'll continue throughout the rest of the show. They've hit their stride, hopefully. You know? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So as Spider-Man begins his search for Morbius, a group of random folks <laughs> throw rocks and also like a can at him. Like they're immediately just like, it's Spider-Man. And then get him. 
trying to stone him. Like it's bad. <laughs> it's a little much. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> and <laughs> the, yeah. So uh, the police actually even attempt to arrest him too, which is, you know, that happens. Yeah. But he escapes because they are mere mortals, but Morbius finds him and they begin to fight a again. Yes. <laughs> and this is when Michael, uh, Michael throws Spider-Man through a wall. And this is when we get, like an interesting kind of out of the blue turn for Michael where he's like, no, I mean, this is kind of awesome. Actually. I'm just going to stay a vampire. Uh, also I'm immortal. Yeah. Apparently. Yes. He says many times that he's immortal and I don't even know if we're necessarily meant to believe that. I think we are, but it would be way funnier if it was obvious that we were not. Yeah. Like if he were just some guy who's like, I'm immortal. And we're all like, no, you're not. blades literally attempting to kill you but it would fit in with the sort of like turn towards megalomaniacal like vampire is cool now kind of (laughs) mentality he has i do think it's sort of abrupt yeah but i also think once you've seen both of these episodes it makes sense i just think they needed to take more time getting to that point yeah that's my issue with it is that i don't mind the turn existing it just is because he, the reason that he's been such like an engaging character so far has been like his reluctancy and and his like frustration with being a vampire and kind of that very, very typical just like push pull of like, I want yeah. to feed, but I don't want to. I want to be normal, but I can't. And so to kind of turn that off so suddenly, it feels a little too easy yeah. because, I mean, we've been in his head a lot. Like we've had him, we had this whole episode. He was narrating what he was doing. Like we knew why he, what his motivations were. So to suddenly not have his motivation very clear anymore. And it's a very hard turn. Like Mm -hmm. that kind of bums me out a lot. It seems like a real missed opportunity with a character they'd fleshed out really well so far. Yeah. I I agree with all that. I am bummed by that because I think it, it is a cool exploration of character. I'd be lying though. If I said, I didn't kind of like the idea that every time he wakes up, it's harder to control since he does transform back and forth. And he does say when I woke up this morning or when I woke up last, because he doesn't wake up in the morning. So I like the mechanic, but even then it's not explored enough to really be enough of a justification for what was already happening. I just like the mechanic. I'm bummed at the the lack of uh, further exploration of the character. Well, because that was my other, my other thing that wasn't an issue with it. It was more just kind of an observation that I would made like at the end of this two-parter was that we have established that he just like goes into a coma during the day, mm-hmm. but multiple days, as far as we know, have now passed or will have passed and we never see what, like where he is, like where he's hiding out, yeah. um, where he's sleeping or like what, you know, what he's doing. And so I think a brief scene of him slumbering and then waking up with sort of this renewed vigor and motivation, like he wakes up and is just like, I feel good. I should feel like this every day kind of thing. Yeah. We're just kind of missing that, that one little scene that, yeah. that would have really helped. Yeah, I agree. It would have been a, a quick, quick, quick little thing. Mm-hmm. Could have helped a lot. So after he declares that he loves vampirism, um, Morbius tears a portion of Spider-Man's suit on his arm, intent on stealing Spider-Man's plasma. I think he even makes a comment like I was expecting the last time we talked about this, mm-hmm. or maybe when we originally talked about this, that like Spider-Man's kind of the perfect person for him to try to steal plasma from, mm-hmm. at least from his own perspective, because he's a superhero. Um, but he doesn't succeed in this because Blade intervenes and finally tells them who he is. Uh, they call me Blade. 
<laughs> I don't I, I don't even know what his name actually is. I just know what they call him. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um they call me what? Blade. It's also my legal name, but that's what they call me. <laughs> that'd be great. I would love that would be that'd be brilliant. <laughs> um once again, before Blade can actually hurt Morbius, Spider-Man gets in the way, allowing Morbius to get away. Blade then decides he's had enough and throws Spider-Man off of the roof. And Spider-Man makes no effort to save himself whatsoever. <laughs> Is the implication that he was just so weak from the semi-plasma drain that that's why he doesn't? I don't think Morbius ever actually takes anything from him. No, I think he does because Spider-Man says that, like, he didn't get a full feeding, but I'm still, like, dizzy. Like, I think he gets a little bit. I miss that. Yeah, like, he gets, I think he gets enough to, like, throw Spider-Man off his game, Hmm. but, like, not enough to, like, make Spider-Man go into a coma like everyone else is. Well, it makes a lot more sense then, because right after this, he, like, thwips off. And I was like, what the heck, dude? <laughs> <laughs> okay, I like that then. Yeah, yeah, I think I think it makes sense. And when he does land, so there's civilians and police gathering around him. Um, One guy, like, runs up to him, and he's like, can I have your autograph? If you get the chair, it'll be worth a fortune. What the hell? Excuse me? Whose decision was that? <laughs> he also says it so fast that yeah. I would I would never have known what he was saying without a caption. Maybe that's why it got past censors because they just didn't catch it. Because you can't say the word die or kill most of the time, but you can be like, if you get executed in an electric chair, <laughs> my, your autograph will be worth a lot. Like, what the, what? Yeah. Yeah, and it's like I it's just a weird moment at all. Uh-huh. <laughs> like let alone what he's actually saying. It doesn't fit into anything. It's a and it's a weird <laughs> like disparity too cuz it goes back and forth between like you're awesome. You're totally going to de- get executed. Oh, you don't want to give me your autograph? Oh, well your fame has just gone to your head and it's just like I guess that's supposed to be funny, but like I'm just kind of what? It's, ooh, it's, ooh, no. Yeah, it's it's uh it's hard to be funny in this context because nothing else is like it. Uh, yeah, yeah. Nothing, nothing we've watched on this show has ever been close to that type of humor. It's weirdly dark humor, like it's yeah. like mean spirited dark humor. It's weird. That's just doesn't fit. In. Like I'm not. <laughs> I'm not against that humor in a lot of other contexts. It just was like in this show. Yeah, it's a weird context. Weird. Yeah. Yes. Weird context. (laughs) (sighs) Well, that guy sucks. (laughs) That's kind of an (laughs) understatement, but yeah. (laughs) Spidey's like, ooh, bad joke, bro, and leaves. Uh, (laughs) But uh, he does recognize that he can't stop Morbius alone, and he pulls out his tracker to find Blade. He does, however, question whether he can trust him. Yes, yes. Elsewhere, at some backstage area of a movie theater, which, of course, is showing a vampire movie. (laughs) I imagine it's the one movie they have. Blade speaks with a man he calls Whistler about failing to stop Morbius. Whistler tells Blade to remain calm, which always works. But Blade (laughs) (laughs) asserts that Morbius isn't like other vampires because Spider-Man claims to have created him and he doesn't understand how that's possible. So Blade starts to try to figure out like what could the connection be, what's going on. He pulls out a map of the campus, recognizing all the attacks have been there. But Spider-Man pops in pretty shortly after that to, I guess, just like confront Blade. (laughs) Yeah. 
and asked to be friends because that's what he talked about last. <laughs> yeah. Just needs to learn how to make an entrance, that Spider-Man. Um, yeah, he does. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, amazing friends. We'd just like to take a minute to give a special thank you to our spectacular and up patrons, Gemma Nicole, Katie, and Chris. And if you are interested in becoming a patron, check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash wallopingwebsnappers. We have three different tiers that you can opt into, the first of which is our $1 tier where you get early access to episodes, a bunch of Patreon-exclusive bonus episodes such as our Spider Bite mini-episodes, you get to participate in our Walloping Word Snappers interactive improv game, and you get your own random villain alter ego. If you join us at our spectacular level at $5, you will get all previous rewards, in addition to our monthly After Dark commentary episodes, a downloadable, high-quality poster of our logo art, a personal on-air shout-out on each episode we record while you're a patron, and a Twitter shout-out and Twitter and Instagram follow once you become a patron. And if you really love what we're doing and you want to be a part of it, you can join our amazing tier at $30, where... If you stick around at that amazing tier, you could guest on the episode. That's right. You could be on an episode of Walloping Web Snappers to talk about anything that you would like that is in the Spider-Man canon or mythos. So at the end of the day, it's you guys who lets us keep doing what we're doing. So thank you for that. No matter what level you're able to contribute or if you're just an avid listener who's stopping by, trust us, your friendly neighborhood podcast hosts. Thank you. Thanks. And now is when we get the exposition. Yes, a lot of it. <laughs> a lot of it. Yeah, yeah. I guess that's why they needed to write Whistler into uh, into the show because they needed some because Blade wouldn't be talking about a history. So Whistler's like, no, Whistler story time now. Yeah, we <laughs> tell you the story of Blade. <laughs> yeah, it's literally his crash course in Blade and like his entire life. Yeah, yeah. So. He specifically t- says that calls out that they are vampire hunters, you know, which Spidey, who <laughs> I like that you pointed this out because I didn't even I didn't even put this together. Spidey just literally referred to Blade as a vampire hunter. He was like, I don't know if I can trust that vampire hunter. Mm-hmm. And then when Whistler's like, hey, yo, so we're vampire hunters. Spidey's like, vampire hunters. What? <laughs> what? What's a- what? <laughs> I love it so much. <laughs> it's like literally seconds ago. Yeah. He's not, and I he's kind of it's all a little dumb because he's been <laughs> he even you went earlier he even makes a crack about like like oh is it a vampire con- convention in town tonight? And then he's like so like but vampires can't be real, right? And it's just like, but you didn't seem that weirded out when you've been fighting, like... He literally created <laughs> a vampire. Right, like you created a vampire. You saw a guy with fangs like a vampire who was treating Michael like a vampire, and the effects of treating him like a vampire was correct. So, where's Honestly, the... <laughs> what connection am I missing here? Shouldn't he be relieved that vampires exist because he hasn't created the first ever vampire? <laughs> Actually, that's Wouldn't really that be point. a relief? That's a very good point. <laughs> like, oh, thank God. I thought I just, like, unleashed the first vampire onto this planet. <laughs> right. Like, Spidey was no. having, like, an I am become death moment. And it's just like, <laughs> no, you're good. You're good. You just, you know, it's whatever. It's like, ooh, thank goodness. Vampire hunters. <laughs> <laughs> he also doesn't 
no has never heard of like Nosferatu. Like I understand that they probably had him question what that word was for the kids in the audience, but I find it hard to believe that the very smart and like relatively cultured-ish Peter Parker had never heard the word Nosferatu before. Like that's a pretty common what word. What does he call it? A a German does he call it a German car or a German oh, band? Yeah. Is that that German band? Yeah, it's like, Peter, you're really dumb in this scene. What what happened to you? Is that like the, a side effect of the neogenic neogenic uh, um, uh, treatment that he's getting? It's just like, it also kills a few brain cells. Sorry, yeah. buddy. Yeah, I think it does. <laughs> we also learn that Blade is the son of a vampire man and a human woman. I want to point this out because I don't want to forget yeah. that Blade is a character in this series that has been introduced as sort of in-between vampire and human mm-hmm. uh they call him partially transformed they call him half vampire they call him all these different things to really to really like illustrate that he exists between two worlds i don't think it's a mistake at all that in the scene where we see his parents it appears that his dad is a white man and his mom is a black woman implying yeah. that blade is probably also mixed race yeah which i think is an interesting parallel to draw between those two experiences <laughs> mm-hmm. and it's such a quick thing that it it would be easy to just not even notice yeah but i i don't think you make that mis- i don't think it's a mistake like yeah. you you make the choices of of how to design these characters so i i just thought that was really interesting that is very interesting very fascinating and i don't remember who his dad is in the movie or if how deeply they delve into his father so i don't remember what if his father is white or not it could very realistically just be a thing that exists solely in this series since the movie and this series were sort of being written differently with similar influences yeah so i don't know that's a really interesting observation though that's i mean it doesn't really play into much else in these two episodes i just thought it was really really interesting detail it is it's just one of those details that's there (laughs) <laughs> yeah, like that's an intentional thing for sure. Yeah. So we learn that uh, when Blade's mother was then turned into an Osferatu, uh, after Blade was born, I guess she still possessed some of her like humanity because she decided to give him up for adoption to spare him from the dark world of vampires. Yes, yes. Is he from New Orleans? Is that what that was? It an I. I... I oh. went to go back and check. I didn't catch where that if if they said where that, where that was orphanage actually. was. I, <sighs> I wish see. I had looked. I the I I only just remembered that I was going to go back and look at that, and I never did. Darn it! Ah, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> In any case, he ran away from the orphanage. Um, and after he runs away from the orphanage, he discovers his powers, which are that of a partially transformed vampire. In this case, it means that he has the strength of a vampire, like super strength, literally, but also speed and agility and stuff like that. But he's unaffected by sunlight, and he is immune to, as Whistler describes it, the venom of his blood-sucking brethren. Which is not the only time they specifically imply or specifically state blood sucking, which they have avoided up to this point with Morbius. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Which is strange. (laughs) Right. But I guess, I guess with Blade, they just decided let's go for it. (laughs) I don't (laughs) know. I mean, they don't, and they don't show any vampires specifically biting anybody and sucking their blood. So I guess... This is okay. Yeah, it's a little, so. a little weird. I don't know. But uh, Blade's basically vowed to find his mother um, since 
you know, he was given up for adoption and lived at the orphanage. It seems like for probably quite a while, because when he runs away, he looks like he's probably like 10. Yeah. Yeah. And gain his revenge against the Nosferatu. He really has a grudge against the Nosferatu for turning him into a vampire. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I guess turning his mother into a vampire, too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. One of the kids in the flashback. Yes. Oh, is, are you going to say what I think you're going to say? Uh-huh. <laughs> is, like, a brown-haired kid wearing Peter P- Peter Parker's polo from the first season. Uh-huh. Looks creepily like a young Peter Parker bullying uh-huh. Blade. Which I am positive was not an, an intentional thing. It was just like they pulled a standard character design or character package and plugged it in. But boy, is it distracting. Yes. Yep. Looks just like a young Peter Parker. <laughs> weird. Very weird. I'm glad you noticed that too. Because if you hadn't said it, I was going <laughs> to. I do like the weird like pote- like canon idea that A, Blade is younger than Peter Parker somehow. He's like 17 and oh. he just like looks like this. And Peter was a bully to Blade. <laughs> yeah. <was> <laughs> I like that. I don't really know how that works, but I like it. Blade is just <laughs> so angry all the time that it has just aged him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think that's it. <laughs> there's a there's like a joke in like the Incredible Hulk, like like one like good joke in that whole movie, where um what's this, is it uh the guy who ends up becoming a do- abomination, who you know is played by an actor who is like clearly like forty eight years old or something, mm-hmm. and they and they make it and I think they're talking about how like intense his life is as a government agent or what or soldier or whatever he is, and they're like so how old are you and he's like I'm twenty nine. <laughs> when he's like clearly like a very like middle-aged person <laughs> that's beautiful <laughs> so after that uh whistler explains that he actually found blade and trained him uh basically focusing his anger and training him to fight and this worked really well because blade's vampire dna makes him especially skilled at basically anything physical but also like fighting nosferatu in general he has a leg up over humans fighting vampires because he is one himself. Yes. And they explain what vampires are in very scientific terms, which is interesting. It's cool. I actually, I I always like this kind of stuff because I mean, there's always going to be, there's still a little element of the occult attached to it because like, it still doesn't make sense as like a true disease, but it's cool when there's like biological elements to explain uh, where these things are coming from. Yeah. So according to Whistler, vampirism is a gene mutation which causes them to like burn iron too quickly, which is why that they why they suck blood is because they require frequent replenishment. Um, mm-hmm. So they like they use the plasma to replenish their iron supply. But a like weird kind of side effect of that disease is that it also uh, or mutation I guess they call it they call it a mutation and a disease like interchangeably. Yeah. But it also makes them weak to specific plants and alloys, which is why you know garlic. Uh, mm-hmm. screws them up and I guess why like certain it doesn't explain like why a wooden stake would hurt them because that's not really like an alloy but like probably you can stab them with a sword and they die in this cannon and that explains that so yeah I think they say like certain plant strains so I guess you could leap to like mm. maybe there are certain like all the stakes are made of certain types of trees or, that, or shrubs or something that checks out actually I don't yeah, know. that checks out <laughs> But yeah, that's that's our our sort of crash course in Blade. If you didn't know anything about Blade, <laughs> which yeah. at this point probably most people watching did not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you know, even if you do, like watching this with knowledge of the movie, 
it's not that different. I mean, they like Whistler is 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 pretty vastly different, but his role is the same. Mm-hmm. And honestly, like Blade's characterization is really similar to the movie version. So hmm. even if it wasn't like super intentional, like on Semper's part, I feel like the synergy between this and then the movie that comes out after it is pretty on point. Hmm. Ugh, I'm gonna have to. I'm, uh, I I really need to watch those. It's I've, good. I've known I needed to watch them, but I I really should just do it. They're absolutely worth watching. Yeah, hmm. at least the first two. <laughs> The third one has Parker Posey and Ryan Reynolds in it, and they're fun. That's about it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Spider-Man shares that what Whistler is describing as vampires basically sounds just like Morbius, but Morbius's vampirism was caused by an accident with the Neogenic Recombinator, which still makes sense because the Neogenic Recombinator basically rewrites DNA and creates gene mutations. Blade demands to know where as he describes it, the machine that creates vampires is so that he can destroy it. Cause he's like appalled at the idea that there's a machine that could just pop out new vampires. But Whistler speculates, Hey, if Spider-Man can reverse Morbius's mutation, he might be able to do that with you too. And that could be helpful. Blade doesn't love this. In fact, he hates it and says that he'll always be a vampire and always be a vampire hunter, which I like. Cause it, that's really complicated. Yeah, it is really, it is really interesting. I mean, I think, it, yeah, and it makes sense. You kind of get a good sense of his characterization because he's not he's not really driven by, like, a really that tangible of a goal, ultimately. Like, his mm-hmm. his goal is to destroy all vampires, which is not really a thing that is ever going to happen, yeah. theoretically. So, yeah, so it's it's interesting. It makes really for a really interesting, con- like, inner conflict that you could already see. Especially, well, he's also, like, strangely proud of being a vampire, though. It's, you know what I it's mean? It's weird. It's very weird. Yeah. Or I guess he's proud of having the abilities of a vampire without having succumbed to them. It's sort of like, almost mm-hmm. like, like, I'm stronger than all of these vampires that I'm killing because I'm not turning into, I don't, I didn't turn into a monster with these powers. Yeah. Which, you know, people could argue. I, I feel like it... it it creates such interesting potential storylines because you have Blade meet different vampires who are at different stages or points in their lives or who have different motivations and mm-hmm. humans all the same way. And you really could kind of pull Blade in any number of directions based on the fact that he wants to destroy all vampires but is a vampire. All he would need to do is meet some terrible humans and then <laughs> <laughs> like the vampires could easily be like, T- humans are terrible too. Like, I don't know how yeah. much of this happens in the in the movies at all, but I just feel like there's so much you could write with that based on the fact that he is essentially in a way like killing his own people on purpose. Yeah, there's definitely potentially really interesting metaphors you can draw from that to mm-hmm. to make it relevant. And I'm curious of like what Blade things have done that before. Yeah. Honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if the MCU Blade ends up like finding some interesting statement to make with it. I, I hope don't so. Know, I don't know what it would be, but there's so many things that you could do with that concept. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Yeah, I I hope they get the right people on that one to really do something incredibly compelling because the MCU has done some stuff that is pretty intricately complicated as far as like, I'm not entirely sure where I'm supposed to fall Uh in this disagreement. Mm -hmm. So I hope that they they explore that through Blade. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I'm looking forward to whenever that movie eventually comes out. (laughs) Yeah, we just know that it's supposed to. Uh That's all Uh we know. (laughs) Yep, It'll it'll happen. It'll happen one day. After Blade and Whistler leave the room, Spider-Man steals a canister of Blade's poison gas. So um, he's got that now for his own. (laughs) 
I understand why he would do that because Blade's kind of prickly to work with, but his tools are cool. So mm-hmm. I would probably do the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, now, when he gets back to his bedroom, Peter discovers that the gas is garlic mixed with a rare bacteria. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah. So it's not just magic. So actually, you're right. So that makes sense why it, in this case, it's going to actually like hurt vampires, not just um not just like expel them or whatever not just working like a circle of salt so okay i completely forgot about that i mean they don't go any further than that but but, (laughs) they literally just explain that bacteria is present but i think it's cool that they're taking these great strides to be like it's not just weird magic guys like it fits into our world that we've built yeah which i know that the show still ends up going into magical stuff so like it doesn't even really matter that they're doing all this but i still appreciate it nevertheless that they're trying Mm -hmm. to work it into the ongoing story and kind of explain it and keep it in the world and everything well you know it it sort of creates a world where then things that are are truly magical and either can only be or need to be have that pop that they probably desire from those things you know what Mm -hmm. i mean Mm -hmm. so makes it a a bit more uh, unique if you're gonna have mostly everything else be scientific that makes sense yeah because there's no need to have the vampire stuff be a cult in origin necessarily yeah um, unless you just really 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 want to go into that so yeah. that makes sense i appreciate i'm already appreciating that a lot more They're, they take that they have actually yeah doesn't matter you can't really explain very much further and find out what this bacteria really is because he gets a call of course from mary jane mm-hmm. though this time he does not answer angrily for the first time in his life yeah, he really needs Aunt May to screen all of his calls for him because uh, then he can kind of prepare, um, not scream into the receiver. Um, it's a much better look. <laughs> yep. So Peter explains, you know, I've been meaning to talk to you ever since I got back, MJ. Um, but Mary Jane really has like no time for it. He even starts to say like, but, and she's like, no, no excuses right now. <laughs> Which is great. Mary Jane's great. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. She shares that the police are looking to speak with anyone close to the victims of the plasma illness um, and that Peter really should be present because Flash. And uh, I guess, is there anyone else that he knows that would have been affected? I guess not. No, Flash is is kind of the impetus, I think, for for, for the characters that are there to be there because oh yeah that's for sure because they don't really have anyone else (laughs) yeah but but even even if they don't have anyone else like it has been repeatedly stated that like morbius is pretty much sticking close to esu in general that said it is the selection of characters that end up being in this (laughs) in this little like meeting is kind of weird because it's not really that many people Yeah. And it is yeah. pretty much only our main characters. So, I mean, it's kind of smart, though, to bring together two spheres that otherwise don't have much of a reason to intersect. That's because true. you kind of have the people who know Morbius specifically and the people who know Flash specifically and the like Peter's connective tissue. Yeah. But what other reason to put them all in the same room except that Michael's missing and Flash is sick? Oh, I don't have a problem with with the main characters all being there. Yeah, no, it's I'm more just like appreciating just, it. Yeah, it's more like there should probably be more people who care about this than just them. But well, maybe there all are just... more victims. Yeah, <laughs> there's a ton of victims. <laughs> right. I guess like they didn't have any friends. I don't. <laughs> yeah. Just um, throw yeah. some blobs in the background. <laughs> just right. Imply other people are there. 
<laughs> right, right. But you're right, though. It is it's a really smart thing to do because this Peter agrees to go to this meeting with the police. Um, and we should also say, like, makes dinner plans with Mary Jane to talk with her after that. Yeah. But when when we see everybody there, Peter's there, Mary Jane's there, Harry is there, Felicia's there. Um, and I think like a couple of other characters. I are think there. Deborah's there. Um, oh, yeah. Deborah. And I think Dr. Connors might also be there as well. Oh. So I, th- I think I could be remembering it wrong. But basically every primary character is there, um, mm-hmm. which is neat. I like that. And Detective Lee is like theorizing how all the recent events might be connected. She's literally like holding a piece of string and stretching it out and just and being <laughs> like trying to find a thread. Yeah. <laughs> like, thanks for the visual aid, I guess. Uh, <laughs> if you didn't know what a thread is. <laughs> <laughs> so I need to find something that looks like this. So the end of this thread would be the clues that we have. The end of the mm-hmm, other mm-hmm. thread are the other clues that we have. Mm. We need you to be the string in the middle. Ah. <laughs> and Harry's there like, oh, I think I get it. Can you say it one more time? <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, it's a it's it's a cool. This is an interesting scene because it's I I like how streamlined the storytelling is by yep. by kind of colliding these like you were saying. Um and it's a really intense scene that I did not expect. Mhm. So when Peter arrives, he arrives late of course as always. And Lee kind of notices him and grills him immediately. Um, and if we remember, they're they're really kind of stacking on their interaction that they had in the Mysterio episode, which is not in the recap or really even referenced. Which would uh, have been a great thing to put in the recap, BT dubs. It would have, because I think that that's, it, it, it forms a really solid foundation. Because out of context, Lee looks like a big jerk in the scene. Yeah. But if you remember that in the Mysterio episode, pretty much all of her interactions with Peter were pretty negative to be honest Mm -hmm. and they don't end on a particularly good note she ends it thinking that he's being a coward and not and not wanting to help with with anything related to spider-man despite knowing him which is why like her she immediately jumps to the conclusion that peter is protecting his income while innocent people are being hurt by not like giving any information about spider-man's whereabouts Damn. Yeah. Yeah. Which, you know, it's a perfectly understandable perception for her to have. Yeah. Um, because it is weird that this guy is only able to know where Spider-Man is when it benefits him. And he doesn't do a very good job covering for himself ever in regard to that scenario. No. Like, it would make perfect sense that no Spider-Man contacts me first. I don't know how to contact him. And I guess he does He does try to say that, and then she cuts him off by grilling him. But he left a really bad impression on her in the first place. And she's a mm-hmm. very hard-line detective. So I don't. It, none of this is out of character, even if she's being pretty aggressive. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's really good. He doesn't stand a chance against this detective. No, like, she's awesome. He's a superhero, but he's not a detective. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the only thing where I do feel like she goes kind of over the line, but again, it's not. It, and it's it's not. I don't think it's treated as a. It's not treated as a positive thing. I don't think we're supposed to feel like, oh wow, this is you're awesome. Like, because this this is the moment where she is in the wrong because she immediately goes into calling out that Peter had a previous relationship with Felicia Hardy, as did Michael Morbius. And is sort of like, well, this seems to benefit you if Michael's out of the picture. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Felicia's in the room. So, of course, she's going to be, like, upset and literally runs out of the room crying. Yep. <laughs> yep. The drama is high here. 
Yeah, the Detective Lee is basically doing what you would do in like an interrogation room, uh-huh. but is doing it in front of everyone Peter knows. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's not good. It's not good, and I don't not think it's great. I don't think it's bad writing because I because again, it's not treated as a good thing because she makes oh yeah she makes a nineteen year old girl run out sobbing. Yeah, <laughs> a nineteen year old girl who is a victim in this situation, who she yeah. even it like admits is a, is is a victim in the situation and makes her run out of the the room sobbing. So like, you didn't do good here, but yeah. but I buy that being part of her character because she's always been a pretty um very curt and pretty aggressive person when she's pursuing a lead or or whatever pursuing a case. So yeah, it's it's they've built a cool character with Terry Lee. Yeah, I'm a fan. Yeah. She's cool. Even when she does things that are kind of out of line. <laughs> yeah. 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 She's a good character, even if yeah. you don't always like what she's doing. Yeah. It's what makes her a good character. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you, can't, you don't always know what to expect with her in a good way. Yeah. So Peter follows Felicia outside and comforts her because they are friends. But uh, Mary Jane is looking on and Felicia and Peter are very close. And by close, I mean they're like all up in each other. Yeah. And it's... It's it's a bad look. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So Harry ends up leaving the building while Mary Jane's looking on, just incidentally. And Mary Jane invites him to dinner, basically saying, I had plans, but I've just canceled them. So let's go to dinner, Harry. And he's like, okay. <laughs> I really do remember Harry being a bigger character in this series. And I, I, I don't know when it's going to happen, but I've learned to trust my memories gut i guess yeah. we're not there yet no. <laughs> no he's just like a dumb doofus he is such a doofus he's such a little wiener uh. he's such a doofus it's so funny though i'm kind yeah. of it's becoming endearing to me now because it's like he's at least he's not annoying anymore yeah. he just like shows up and everyone kind of tells him what to do yeah <laughs> and that's about yeah. it <laughs> i kind of like that harry and i guess part of it is because felicia serves a lot of the role that he could be serving and so yeah. You don't want that character twice. Um, yeah. And also, but we also don't have the character that he is currently playing. So I like that he's there. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. And we don't really, we have gotten very little Norman as well. So we don't mm-hmm. really get that much of that dynamic either. So like, there's just not really a place for Harry other than just to be like the cipher for everybody else's <laughs> drama. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> well, another person is looking on while this is happening and that is detective lee mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and she's taking notes she that's is. actually a really great frame <laughs> for yeah, just taking it is. notes it is it is like <laughs> like i wonder what she's writing down like like i was right <laughs> yeah exactly 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 <laughs> that's it that's it that's all <laughs> peter heart emoji felicia uh-huh yeah <laughs> close by Another, another person is looking on. <laughs> oh, so many people are watching all of this happen. I know. I guess, you know, it was a pretty big dramatic moment. Everybody yeah. was just like, this is, mm, this is, this is a, where the, the reality TV wasn't really a thing yet. Mm, so mm-hmm, you know, this mm-hmm. is, this is a, this is where you find your, your real life drama. In real life? What? <laughs> Stop. Yeah. <laughs> the person looking on is Morbius, uh, crouched in the trees and he is uh, seeing Peter comfort Felicia. And of course, you know. Everybody, everybody's hot for Felicia, so he's jealous of Peter, vows to destroy him, but but he sees his reflection in a nearby window and is reminded 
that, no, I do love Felicia and I have to find a way to be with her. So he's already kind of wavering on his, like, I'm the best of the best. Um, or at least we're led to believe he's wavering on his, like, I love being a vampire stance, which I don't, isn't really what we learn isn't exactly what's happening. Yeah. On, this actually. sort of clarifies itself. I think the f- yeah. when you're initially watching it, you think like, Oh, he's reminded that like Felicia doesn't want to be with a vampire. Yeah. So he probably needs to get back on that cure mm-hmm. sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Mm. I think it's an intentional misdirect. Yeah. Actually. It's a different, different realization he's having there, but we just don't know it yet. <laughs> yeah. 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 I'm, I'm on board with it actually. Cause they're Me just too. kind of playing into the, they've almost made it a trope because it's, it's a bit of thing that has happened over and over again with him. Yeah. So the fact that they're using it again, but like only to kind of subvert what we're expecting with him a little bit later. I think it's, I think it's a smart way to do it. I agree. So Morbius ends up breaking into Dr. Connor's lab and he steals the neogenic recombinator again because he's done this before. <laughs> so at least this time he knows how. <laughs> Did he steal all the consoles this time? <laughs> oh gosh, I don't know. <laughs> he could this time because he's got all kinds of super strength. That's true. Do you think that when he picks things up, they sort of like lose their gravity too? Oh, hmm, 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 hmm. that's opening a really complicated can of worms, I think. All right. Well, <laughs> I think that that's the easiest way to des- to describe it is that he just has levitation abilities that, yeah, just kind of eliminate the gravity or, or he's able to kind of control the gravity in his circle. It's like the it's probably like the way that they describe like Superman's invulnerability where like they've tried to explain a way where like he can carry someone while he's flying or like flying through fire or something because his invulnerability is actually oh. tied to more like a biological force field that covers whoever's like within his like grasp or when oh. his like, personal bubble that which explains why like if he's flying at a super speed with someone he's carrying their skin just doesn't rip off like it's because they're sort of temporarily invulnerable while they're within his vicinity so i'd imagine it's the same thing with anti-gravity with morbius that was a can of worms i was not expecting all that yep (laughs) comics are weird (laughs) they sure are surprised we didn't get that scientific explanation in these episodes (laughs) (laughs) well but like blade can't fly so i guess they don't heavily have that much of a and we don't necessarily see vampires flying so you could argue that maybe that's a thing specific to morbius i don't know if that plays out throughout the rest of the show but you can argue that at least at this point True, true. But uh, so before before Morbius can even get very far with the Recombinator, he's confronted by Blade, who stops him with artificial sunlight, uh, which, why didn't he use that before? <laughs> it seems right? very effective. Right. Um, luckily for Morbius, there's a loose brick hanging out nearby, <laughs> and he aims true and hits that light directly, turning it off. And that's great for him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He ends up throwing the recombinator at Blade, though, which seems like a really terrible choice. It's a little reckless. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's uh, expensive equipment. Yeah. Losing, losing a little track of your goals there, buddy. Yeah. Morbius also attacks Blades with his own weapons. Yeah, he does. <laughs> That's cool. It's, I like that. It, I like it, too. I like it. And he like, he's, like, enjoying it. He's like, these are cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which, which I like. You're not wrong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he, he even gains an advantage with the garlic slash bacteria grenades. And then he's able to pick up Blade and carry him to a smokestack and drop him into it. And this is when we learn his new goal, which is now to turn the whole world into vampires. 
Yeah. He took more than just the recombinator from Connors. He also took his manifesto. (laughs) (laughs) Oh God. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that's like a part of neogenics is, is like that particular type of radiation when it mutates you. It also like makes you megalomaniacal. And once in like, you get the impulse to make everyone else like you. Oh gosh. A world (laughs) of man spiders though. I'm here for it. Actually. mm, Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That could be fun. Yeah. That could be fun. Hmm. I'll be thinking about that for a long time. Yeah. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Blade is hanging on just by his fingertips on the smokestack. And Spider-Man luckily uh, hops in just in time, finding them webs Morbius and saves Blade. Morbius does break out of the webbing and Spider-Man retreats with Blade. Yes, and they retreat basically back to that roof where Morbius threw the Recombinator. Because, <laughs> again, yeah. expensive equipment, we need that. Right. And Blade remarks at Spidey's seemingly improved web. Uh, Spider-Man explains that he, it's funny that he just, like, admits to this, but just, like, <laughs> explains that he mixed into his webbing a watered-down version of Blade's gas, pretty much to make it easier to catch Morbius but not hurt him too bad. Mm-hmm. Which is cool. I like that there have been a couple times now where he's modified his web for specific enemies. Yeah, I like that a lot. Yeah. Blade and Spider-Man do agree to team up. And as Blade rides off on his motorcycle, he shouts for Spider-Man to keep up. And they set off together to continue their pursuit of Morbius. To be continued. Yeah. We got a lead up to a true team up episode. Yeah, team yeah. up episode. <laughs> Which is funny because we didn't really. Okay, we technically had him team up with the X Men, but that was kind of crazy. And the Punisher, he didn't really team up with actually. Like they're at pretty all. contentious. Yeah, Craven teamed up with Punisher, but Spider Man didn't. So this is kind of yeah. our first like solo one on one. We're fighting a bad guy together. Team up for this show, which is yeah, pretty cool. buddies. Yeah, and it's cool that the first real like legit one-on-one team up he has is with blade of all people yeah yeah Yeah. i like that i do too it is strange though that this show like basically is like exploring monster stories and body horror and vampires and like it's it's very spooky like all together and the punisher isn't necessarily spooky but he's like very serious and obsessed with death like (laughs) yeah especially such a strange environment for just spider-man for season two especially yeah it's it's such an it's such a fascinating thing to venture into it's not i mean it's not like early early into the show but like comparatively early in the show um you know of all the story arcs they could have done i think i said this at the beginning of the season like of all the story arcs they could have done it's wild that this is the one that they chose to do first which is such a gothic like Mm -hmm. horror driven like everything is at night everything is spooky everything like you said is like very monster centric and you know it makes sense that all these things are going to be together because it is a it's they're trying to do a story arc so like it makes sense it's more just like the timing of it is kind of the fact that they've explored that before they've explored so many other yeah spider-man mythos they could explore considering the first season was very much like trying to deal with all the old school Spider-Man stories. Right. The fact that they're diverting so quickly into like such a different kind of Spider-Man story is I'm not mad about it or anything. Oh it's just, no, me neither. It's just uh, interesting. And I'm, I'd be curious like to know the logic of why this was the one that they were like, this is right for our second season. Yeah. Oh, me too. <laughs> yeah. 
My only guess is that maybe they felt like this was the easiest one to build a story arc out of because it's it's almost like pretty easy to be like, all of these things are monsters and horror type things. Yeah. So uh, we'll throw them all together. And <laughs> you, you know? can kind of do quite a bit of whatever you want with a lot of it. Yeah. Yes. So that's, I mean, it gives them some freedom to make sure that they're not relying too much on adapting things, which is nice. That's true. That's true. Yeah, because they definitely take take some liberties in the season that work very well in their favor. Yeah. Faces of the episode for this episode. Just one, and it is Peter's face <laughs> when Felicia <laughs> is first hugging him, which is a thing that he should be enjoying because he likes Felicia. Um, like, he likes her a little too much, as we've seen. But his face when she hugs him, it's like <laughs> in profile and it is just like a straight line <laughs> across his mouth. Mm-hmm. Um and not a very not a not very happy eyes either. He just looks very like <laughs> I don't know how to just I don't really know how to describe that better actually. And it's just very wooden. Like there's nothing yes. really there. Like I don't I don't quite know what expression that's supposed to be (laughs) yeah it's like no expression at all it's like a it's like a really old like renaissance painting or something where it's just like they didn't really know how to draw draw thing like didn't really understand like depth or anything yeah so it's just like a very flat profile of his face that has Mm -hmm. nothing happening in it yeah oh it's it's uh it's it's awkward i don't know that it's even meant to be an awkward moment but it it screams awkward yes it is very awkward yeah i'll i'll uh i'll grab that uh detective lee shot too just because it's so funny when she's watching this oh right, <laughs> right. yes yes like of all i feel things. like that's like a gif that i if, if if you could find a higher quality version of this show i would use that gif all the time <laughs> just over here taking notes keep talking <laughs> yep yep <laughs> general thoughts on this whole episode um, I, I kind of, I don't know. I, I hope you have a decent amount cause I'm, I'm finding it hard to talk a, a whole lot about it without having talked about the next episode yet. Uh, yeah. I like it. I definitely feel like even though it has a lot of cool stuff in it, it is largely leading up to the next one, but I don't think that's a detriment to the episode itself somehow. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know. Like, I'm not sure what to say about this one without talking about the two-parter as a whole (laughs) yeah yeah no no no, i agree with you it's 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 weird it's part of a story arc but like a multi-episode story arc but it very much feels like a two-parter yeah um because it's very much structured like one yeah and i think that's there's a lot of setup in this episode so yeah i think that's fine we just don't have a lot of thoughts there there isn't really much to say about it like overall like or thematically or anything because yeah it's all setting up and establishing threads that get picked up in the next one. And I think there is definitely going to be more to talk about in that one. Yeah. I, uh, I mean, I'll echo some things we said just cause I don't want it to sound like we don't have good things to say. <laughs> I mean, I think there were some really, really smart decisions they made, like the one they made in the classroom and some of the ways that they intersect characters. And I'll echo what you said about them handling exposition. They do a really good job introducing the characters that they do without it feeling clunky I remember when I was watching it a second time and, and taking some notes, I was like, oh, man, I'm going to have to figure out a way to condense my notes for the explanation of Blade. But it's actually pretty concise. I mean, mm-hmm. they, they get through a lot of information in a short period of time, and I think they do a good job of that. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. I think they do well in the first part of a two-parter. They do it really, really well, and that can sometimes be a hard thing to do. Uh-huh. 
Uh-huh. Yes. I fully agree with that. And I this is going to become so redundant because I feel like I've said it in like multiple episodes now um, and, and going to continue to say it in the next one. But I think now that we've kind of gotten past the initial hump of the beginning of the season, we're really seeing how they were prepared to play with the pieces that they put on the board. And I think they're really good about taking characters that already have some established like background that already have established history that have gone through some things that are kind of like in different places and connected to each other in different ways and finding really cool ways to have them intersect and interact and bring like new things out of it, which is the advantage of doing a serialized story that you don't Mm -hmm. always get from an episodic thing. Like that's, that's the thing that's in favor of serialized storytelling. Yeah. And I think that these episodes, both of them in this two-parter, especially, especially the one next week, I think does a lot of really good stuff with intersecting characters. But even in this one, it just does a really nice job of, of, of playing with what they've already established. Yes. Yeah. They really, they've, they've found their stride in their second season. Yes. Yes. Which we were hoping. We were absolutely hoping that that would be the case. Yes. Yeah. Well, you know who else found their stride in a sort of second season? The- <laughs> sure it's not really a second season but we recently revamped our patreon so it feels like a second season to us yeah Um, and we're really excited about the things that we're doing over there if you are curious to see what we are doing over on patreon you can find us at patreon.com slash walloping web snappers Um, we've been pumped about the things that we've been putting out over there and we hope that you will check them out In the meantime, if you would like to find the two of us personally, you can find me on Twitter at Derek B. Gale. You can also find me on YouTube under my show Second Chance, a video essay series that looks at uh, bad or divisive media or things that are considered bad or divisive, but trying to look at them from a positive lens, um, thinking about them critically and uh, doing a lot of research to kind of figure out why people might not like them, but also why people do like them and why they might actually be good for, uh, for culture one way or another. What about you, Doug? You can find me on Twitter at Ikibooley, I-C-K-Y-B-O-O-L-E-Y, typically just tweeting about the things I'm watching. Also, if you like Pokemon stuff, you can find me on another podcast here on the 4 Eyed Radio Network called Victory Road, a Pokemon podcast where my co-host Kyle and I talk about Pokemon just sort of as we feel like it. And if you would like more of what Walloping Web Snappers is doing, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Walloping Web Pod, or email us at wallopingwebsnapperspodcast at gmail.com. Please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. And, as always, if you give us a review, we will read it dramatically online for the whole world, even if it's bad. (laughs) (laughs) And next week, come back and join us, because Spidey and Blade officially team up to slay in the immortal vampire. See you then. Bye. coming towards me i'm glad i stopped no so many ambuli it's the podcast police oh gosh please no podcast police
what crimes are we committing on our podcast? I'm sure there's something. Uh, You said Ra's al al Ghul wrong. That's it. That's it right there. Yeah.